I'm Lance Wakefield. Welcome to the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. I am here today with uh, a good friend of mine. His name is Michael Sean Jackson. Uh, thank you for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, having me on. And we're uh, we're going to talk about um, talk about some business. Talk about how we prosper in life and uh, where we find uh, that prosperity for each one of us. So um, you were starting into a story before we before we went live, and you were telling sure. me about how you got into. Uh, well, first of all, tell me a little bit about your business, and then tell <laughs> us about how you got into it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm actually in the, um, what people would call the storm damage restoration, uh, industry. We do, um, we, we rebuild, um, commercial and residential properties from natural disasters. So, um, you know, some people like to say you're a storm chaser. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, guys that, um, I guess, uh, I don't necessarily think of myself in that way because I think the storm chaser uh, name has a negative uh, sort of connotation to it. So, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've never, I think what, what that implies is people come into town, they do a bunch of work and they, and then they take off and leave people with no, you know, uh, way to claim any warranty or yeah. stuff like that. And that's just not how we, how we work. And that's not how, that's not our model. That's not my model. It's never been. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, you and I were kind of talking before, um, we got on air here about, uh, how I was recruited into the industry. I was very young. I was, um, uh, just out of high school. I was 19 years old and, uh, I was a sales manager for uh, a car wash chain here in, um, uh, Plano in North Dallas. Some people might remember the name Oasis Car Wash. It was a pretty famous um, operation. They had probably four locations through uh, Plano and North Dallas, and uh, it was very, very, very successful. And uh, I was what they call a ticket writer, which uh, is basically it's a sales position. Uh, where when people, you know, when you pull into the full-service car wash, people are there to greet the, the you know, person in the car and, you know, we try to upsell product and stuff like that. So um, that's Yikes. basically what my position uh, was and uh, became sales manager where I was uh, kind of over a few different salespeople um, there within the organization and uh, how I got started really in, in um, the next chapter in storm damage restoration is I was recruited as a roofing salesperson um, from uh, – there was guys that were always coming into the car wash wearing these uh, Rolex watches. Everything was gold nugget, mm-hmm. the gold rope chain back then, like yeah. gangster. Mm-hmm. So everybody was uh, – these guys were coming in. And two or three of them would come in, and they had these – like back then, I mean, they were like $40,000 trucks dropped and lowered and the big wheels and tires and TVs and the consoles. And these guys were on their, you know, their Oki phones or their big brick <laughs> phones. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they were always on the phone. They had gold jewelry drop dripping all over them and Mm -hmm. Rolex watches and stuff. And, you know, um, they were always trying to recruit me to come sell roofing. I'm like, sell roofing? You know, I just always blew them off. I didn't, you know, I didn't really care. Um, But, um, you know, uh, one time, uh, actually, 
the, the reason how all of this, my life changed and the reason why I actually took uh, this leap of faith and, and dove into that industry is because the car wash um, had revised my commission structure um, for the third time. And, you know, when they put me out there, I begged them when I, cause I used to wash, wipe off the cars out in the, on the front, you know, all that, and I was, you know, I was good at all that, but there was a kid that I went to high school with that, um, uh, you know, he had the, the coolest truck back then, uh, the big, um, popular thing was, is having these mini trucks that were dropped and lowered mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, had these low profile tires and stuff and these big systems, these big boom box systems yeah. in there. I remember, and, I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was a big deal. And he had the coolest one, you know, in the school and everybody would see him every morning pulling into the parking lot. It was boom, yeah. boom, boom. Everybody know that he was, that Tommy was there. So, um, anyway, uh, and I, I could tell he made money. You know, just uh, by the way, you know, his car and all that kind of st- his, his truck and everything. And so I found out he worked over there at that car wash. So I went to go work there. And um, I was there for, I guess, a, a, a couple of years, and I, you know, I, about a year and a half. And I, did, I, I talked him into letting me get on the writing the tickets and being the salesperson because, I, you know, I always felt like I could, I could do sales. And so they tried me out, and I just blew. They had a professional guy there that they recruited that's supposed to be the best in the business. And right when they got me out there, I mean, like within the first two days, I mean, I was blowing his numbers out of the water. That's awesome. And they're like, who is this kid? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're pretty happy. Yeah. They put me on the takes. They gave me a chance. And uh, so it kind of started as a part-time thing. And then I think I I, <laughs> I kind of worked the old man out of a job, Yeah, you know, which is, you know, I guess it's kind of sad, but um, I got really good at it. And I was throwing up record numbers and the general manager, not general manager, he was a district manager. Um, was getting pretty hacked off at me coming in, working half the hours that he was. I was working about 38 hours a week. And at that time, you know, I was bringing a thousand, twelve hundred bucks a week, which is pretty good, you know, back then. That's probably around three grand now. I Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but, uh, he kept talking to the owner. Um, and getting them him to revise my commissions because he was hacked up because my checks are bigger than his. Yep. You know, many weeks and he wasn't having that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, eventually they, re- they revised it at two times and then they, they re- wanted to, re- I, every time they would do it, I would figure out a way to make this. I made the same amount of money. I would just, I would, my sales would increase. I would try even harder and it just didn't stop the money train, and it didn't, and it, 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 and it kept on hacking off the district manager. So that's awesome. He, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I guess. And uh, so they revised it a third time. They called me into the office to, to try to tell me he was going to hack down my commission again. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, you guys are really, you're really offending me now. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got up, I stood up to get, walk out of the door, and uh, they're like, "Well, no, we can, we can work something out. Don't worry about." It. I'm like, "No, I'm out of here." And I just, I just walked out the door, and I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> uh, at that point, I was thinking, "Oh shit, you need to find a job." Yeah. And I these these roofing guys kind of came to mind. I didn't. They weren't really on my mind when I walked into for that meeting. I didn't know what was gonna. This was gonna happen. So, uh, you know, uh, right after I, I I walked out of the door, I called this one guy on the phone and said, "Hey, man, I just quit the Oasis Car Wash. Um, I'm looking for work now. I guess mm-hmm. I'm gonna come work for you." Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of how it started. And uh, little did I know. Um, 
when um, I showed up for work the first day, I, I figured out that uh, I was actually his first person to go <laughs> work for him. Uh, because what happened is uh, he was with another company. Um, the other the other guy that would come in there with them, they would <clears throat> they would always come in in their Corvettes on the weekends in their trucks every three days. It's mm-hmm. like these guys had nothing to do mm-hmm. but to you know, talk on the phone and come watch the, watch their sports cars in their trucks every yeah. three days. It's crazy. So um, anyway, I found out that the company he was with as the sales manager uh, got into some trouble, and he just spun off on his own, and I am employee number one. And so I was like, my ass puckered up real fast. I'm yeah. like, what the hell did I get myself yep. into here? Okay. <laughs> so that's really kind of what happened as far as how I, I um, ended up getting into the roofing business as a salesperson. And what I did is, um, you know, he gave me a little bit of training. We were running on telemarketed leads there, um, basically uh, off of a working off of a two year hailstorm. Uh, that you heard North Texas. uh, Yeah. That happened in uh, Plano, Texas. I think it was a big storm that it was, um, I think it was June of 1992, which I believe was what people refer to as the Mayfest hailstorm, which is where there was like softball size hail oh. that came through and was like uh, was just totaling out cars mm-hmm. uh, that were out at the Mayfest, you know, festival thing. There was supposedly there was softball size like cookie cutter, like cylinder like holes Jeez. being punched through people's windshields and back windows, and uh, people were got hurt, really hurt. I'm sure, that one of those yeah. hits you, and you, you don't. It's like you need a helmet. To oh take oh one yeah, of those. they're yeah yeah intense. So it, I guess it kind of went head all over the different areas of the metroplex, and um, you know, by the time I got into this, this this was 1993, I think, is when I left the car wash and went to go work for this guy, and so. Um, you know, there wasn't really that – the storm wasn't as bad in Plano from what I could tell. And, um, you know, the owner just uh, was having us go out and having me go out and run appointments with him and signing up people to help work with their insurance company and um, see if they would uh, – the insurance carrier would approve a new full roof or replacement due yeah. to non-repairability. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of um, how I started and um, – I guess really, uh, we I didn't have that many leads, and uh, I just started thinking one day. I was driving down the street, and I was thinking to myself, "Well, you know, all of these people, all these houses need new roofs." I could tell they're all old. They're all old. they're cedar shingle roofs, which is not oh, yeah. really popular anymore. Yeah, those cedar shakes. Yeah, cedar shakes. They're yeah. big money, and uh, they really all of Texas used to be full of cedar, and a lot of America did actually, mm-hmm. and slowly. Um, uh, roofs got converted to asphalt shingles, mm-hmm. but um, so I would do that, and I, w- I would roll. I was rolling down the street one day, and I thought, I mean, why don't I just go up to the door and start talking to some of these people and see if maybe I could help them? I didn't know anything about door knocking. I didn't. Nobody was there to train me, and uh, I just kind of. St- started doing it on my own and just kind of thinking to myself, what can I say to these people to, you know, not sound like an idiot yep. and uh, get their attention to see if I could do an inspection for them and see if I, you know, found any damage or whatever. So that's what I started doing. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, got better at it. I just trained myself thinking every time I would leave a house and somebody would tell me no, you know, what could I have said different? What, totally. how did I screw up? You know, what, what should I have said? 
And so I was just doing that inner uh, inventory, yeah, you know, and trying to develop a way to be able to talk to these people to get their interest. And um, so that's kind of how how it all you know, awesome. started. There's I, like there's so much to be said for that. Like uh, it's like game tape for you know athletes. It's like sure after you perform, going back and watching it, and then you don't need anyone to tell you. I mean, it helps, right? To have a coach right, right. who's who's helping you. But I feel like a lot of the stuff, if you just think back through, sure. here's what they said, here's what I said, if you can identify the point where it went south, where they stopped being interested, where, where communication ceases, or you can tell they lose interest and their, you know, their body language shifts, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you can identify that and then think through like, I wonder why that set them off and what could I do differently? And yeah. if, if salespeople do that, man, the amount of growth and the amount of efficacy you can have as a salesperson goes through the roof. A lot of no people question. are too lazy to do that. Like they just, you know. Yeah, you know, I, th- it, I think what I did is I actually, uh, I think I actually took a little cassette recorder with oh, me too, yeah, and I would, smart. I would like slip that in my in my pocket in my pants, and I'd listen to it, you mm-hmm. know, later on. And um, you know, that's kind of how I got better as well. Just kind of recalling the conversation, just like what you said. You know, it's just being, you know, holding yourself accountable. Totally. And it's brutal. I hate doing that. It's like cringy and I hear myself and I'm like, oh, I'm so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, a lot of it's people like, don't oh. want to hear what they sound like yeah, when they're talking. It's, it's terrible. But like I do it even when I watch this podcast, like mm-hmm. I watch it and I'm like, oh, I should have said this, shouldn't have done that. And it's really, it helps. It's how I learn. Sure. And so I, I love that you do that. I think that's something that gets missed a lot in interaction now yeah. in, in anything. And if you're trying to excel at something, you have to be able to evaluate what you did and then self-evaluate where you went wrong, have enough self-awareness to do it, and then move forward. You're absolutely right. So that's kind of what I've always done my whole life. I don't I, I don't know where I got that from. I you know, I, I was a big I think I was into um, you know, when I was younger, even before um I got into the into the roofing industry, you know, I was always into uh self-motivation and um uh, I was watching, um, you know, sales. Uh, I used to have a, a VHS recorder. I would I would watch um, Marshall Silver mm. was actually a big um, motivational and kind of like it was kind of like a Tony Robbins kind of a guy. Okay, back then, and I would listen to Anthony Robbins, and uh, I would just try to learn whatever I could about sales and kind of taught myself. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say that um, there's. Uh, you know, well, I can't be a salesperson. You either have that gift or you don't. Mm. And, uh, you know, and that's just not true. No. It's not true. It's a learned skill. 100%. Just like anything else in practicing uh, where you get better. And, you know, just having the ambition to want to do that. And, um, you know, there are people that have the gift to gab and, Absolutely. you know, or just kind of naturals at it. But that doesn't mean that Sally Jean, you know, can't, that's never, there yeah. was a, you can't learn how to do it, and that's what I was doing. I would go to bed and I would listen to my, put my earphones on and my Walkman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for those of you out there that are you know back in the '80s kids like I am, <laughs> we had the Walkmans. Uh, but I would listen to that st- stuff like that every night and uh, and just try to program my my mind just to kind of um, I guess be ambitious and learn and because uh, I didn't have. You know, I didn't have the luxury of, of being able to really go to my parents. You know, I was out of my own. As soon as my, I turned 18, I was out of my house. Mm-hmm. Had a pretty rough childhood with my with my mother. My parents were divorced. And, um, 
you know, so I, as soon as I was 18, I got out of high school. I mean, I was out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have anybody fi- as far as financial assistance that could help me in any way. So it's really, you know, I had to sink or swim. I, got, I had to figure it out or, or, yeah. you know, or die. And uh, so that was really scary for me when um, when I left that car wash, that, that, that steady paycheck, you know, that I had every week and going to a, it was a straight commission job. Yeah. And I didn't really know that either at the, at the time <laughs> until I, you know, until I, I went down there and, and saw Jeff and uh, figure that out. And, um, you know, it was really scary. The first three weeks, um, you know, I had not really signed anybody up or maybe a couple of a few people that I had signed up. They kept getting declined by the insurance carrier. And so um, I, I didn't have any sales, you know, that were coming through where I could earn a commission. So uh, I remember I got down to like I had like uh, maybe only a thousand dollars left in savings and nobody that I could go to if I and I was I had to pay rent and had mm-hmm. to, you know my bills just like anybody else so it got really frightening for me and um, you know my life um, I, I I believe that um, I went down this path and stayed down this path because one of the owner's friends. Uh, came into the office one day, and uh, this is probably about a, uh, five or six weeks after I've been working for this uh, this guy in the, with the roofing company, and he uh, could tell I was bummed out. He was asking me well, what was wrong, and I was like, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know how much longer I can, you know, stay in this. I mean, I don't have any money. I'm about out of cash, and, you know, I don't, um, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm scared. I don't, I think I might have to go back to the car wash or do something else and he sat down and he talked to me for a few minutes and he said and the thing that stuck in my mind was he said um if you stay something's gonna pop for you it any day it will and i promise you if you stick with it it'll be the best decision you you've ever made in your life and it'll be a life changer in so many words that's pretty much what he said and it was probably only because of what he said um that um made me stick it out. And I think within three days after that, bam, I got my first one approved. And that gave me enough, um, my first claim approved, where I was going to make a, I think maybe a thirteen or $1,500 commission or something like that. And so... Uh, that's that, a lot of money back then. Yeah. Like, especially for a 19-year-old kid. Yeah. That's 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 a good paycheck. Yeah. So it's not bad. It was, it was enough. I mean, I wasn't going to get paid for several weeks. Yeah. But it was enough to put a pep in my step to where I was like, okay, maybe this, maybe I can do this. Maybe I, uh, I maybe some of these other deals will start coming through for me. So uh, I did stick it out, and then one by one, they started falling like dominoes, and uh, it was enough to to keep me in the game. And I just kind of grew from there. Confidence. So yeah, that, confidence. it was all about the yeah. yeah. It's all about that confidence. Yeah. So, so from there you get into roofing and then how do you go from that to this massive roofing company you have now? Like what, that's a journey right there. Yeah, it's, it is a journey. It's a matter of, it's a matter of fact, it's a, it's a 30 year journey, <laughs> you know? Uh, so after, um, I was with this company, um, this, this first roofing company, I uh, became the sales manager and started hiring salespeople and started training them. And taught them how to knock on doors and things like that that I kind of developed on my own, and uh, I did that, um, you know, for about a year, year and a half. Me and uh, there was another top salesman there, uh, and we were pretty much there's probably five or six salesmen, maybe seven, 
that I managed. And uh, me and the other top guy were 80% of the sales for the whole company, which, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard the 80-20 yeah. rule. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you got a couple of workhorses that are doing mm -hmm. 80% of the sales and the other 20% you know, come from the other guys yeah. that really aren't doing that much. So, um, you know, we got to talk and one, and one day we realized that the percentage of commission that um, we were getting paid was not really um, what the other guys in the industry were getting paid. They weren't making they were making more, a, more, a bigger percentage than what we were. Mm -hmm. So um, we um, said, hey, well, we should you know, we're 80 percent of the sales for the whole company. I think we just went in an extra five, five percent, which. Maybe it was from like 35% of the profit to maybe 40% of the profit mm -hmm. um, split. And uh, we just didn't see any reason why he wouldn't give it to us because, I mean, we were good. We were, you know, honest kids and, you know, we did a good job and he didn't have anything to worry about. And so, uh, you know, we just we, we started talking to some of the, uh, the uh, roofers that were doing the work, some of the subcontractors for us and said, hey, you know, if we decided to go off on our own, would you do any jobs for us? And. I uh, said, sure. You know, so um, we didn't really think much of it. So we, we decided a few days later, we decided to call a, a meeting with the owner and, you know, ask him, you know, formally for a, an extra 5%. And we, you know, him and my, my, my buddy and I were kind of talking, you know, if he doesn't give it to us, we'll just go start our own company. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that we were all that serious about it because um, we just didn't see him not giving us mm -hmm. the – because we had tons – we probably had, I would imagine – you know, probably uh, three, four hundred thousand dollars of work in the pipeline, probably back, then, which is equivalent to probably you know a million now, yeah, million and a half. So we just didn't see him, you know, not giving us what was um, very fair. Yeah, and so he, he he comes in with all the files and he throws them on the on the conference table and he said, "I hear that you're going to maybe start your own company." So why don't we just uh, go ahead and um, we'll call it quits right now. And we'll d divide up the files here. You take these files. I'll take these files. And we'll just call it a day. <laughs> so he basically hands you a book of business that you guys have generated. Well, it was it was a small it was a small amount, and none of these were. There was a few that were signed up. I think that had not been approved by the insurance carrier. Um, and uh, we had a bunch that were in the pipeline that were approved that we were still waiting on money on. And uh, so he basically took maybe probably 80% of the files where he didn't have to pay any commissions on them. He just took them over and, and, and all that. And so uh, we took a, a, a minimal amount of the files. And uh, we walked out of that door that day, and we walked down the hallway. My ass was puckered up. I'll tell you that for <laughs> sure. I, I didn't. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any idea how to uh, own a company, run a company, yeah. start a company. Mm -hmm. um, and we've. I will never forget when those elevator doors closed, and I looked over at my buddy, and he, he said, uh, uh, "I said, what are we going to do?" And he said, "Well." I guess we got to go start that company. I'm like, okay, well, I guess we need to go down to the courthouse and file a DBA right now. Yeah. So we actually, as soon as we hit the bottom floor, we drove in our cars and we went down to the county and we we filed for a DBA. That's what's up, man. <laughs> right then, the same day. You get in these positions, you get yourself in these positions where you are forced to level up and Absolutely. like you've got, you burned the boats, there's no other option and you just put yourself in these positions and and then you succeed. Right. That's awesome. That's exactly what happened. It's, uh, you, yeah, you you you, you, I, you you box yourself in. You don't have a choice. It's again, you know, when I took the first dive, 
um, you know, when I, I started working for the guy at Sink or Swim, I have to make it work mm-hmm. or because I don't have any other option. Yeah. There's just, that's just the way that it is. So fast forward, you know, within, uh, I think, six or eight months, uh, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm 22 years old, 20, 22, I think. Um, driving a uh, SL Mercedes Benz. I just went and got was two years old SL convertible. Awesome. I had a got in a uh, um, an office in uh, probably the nicest high rise building in Plano at the time off Plano Parkway in seventy five. Living the you know living the dream, man. You know went from. I mean twenty two. That's that's incredible. That yeah, was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it it was a lot of fun. It's uh, and I tell you what, I had I had an ego too, man. Back then, oh yeah, that'll come. Especially twenties, man. I swear, in the tw- in your twenties, it's just like a lot. Of, you make a lot of dumb decisions. Yeah. You know, it's like you're you're given life, yeah. and it's like that first decade, you just kind of fumble through it. And, yeah. But whenever you add money to that, it just adds fuel to that fire, and whew. yeah, because I I had some times in my twenties where I was doing well, and uh-huh. oh man, made terrible decisions. Yeah, had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you get that. You get that macho. I guess mentality, and you know, when you, you get money too young, and, and, and you and you made it yourself, you just um, that ego just blows up. You know, I mean, I I'm so different now mm-hmm. than when I was back then, and it, it took me many years, you know, to kind of get humble. Mm-hmm. And uh, some talks with with the employees later on um, that um, you know, friends of mine that had gone to work for me that. Um, you know, I guess I, I not talked to the the way as respectful as I probably should have. Yeah, because they would they would aggravate me because the work ethic was mm-hmm. not you know like mine was. Yeah. and uh, sleeping late, drinking you know all night, and it's just like, and I knew that how much ability they had, and they were just pissing away opportunity, and that just got under my skin, and and I let them know it. Yeah, you know, and I you know I probably should have talked to them a little bit differently, but. It is what it is, and uh, you know I learned from those kind of things. I, I try to do self inventory a lot, uh, especially since that time period uh, of how um, you know uh, things that I might say or, or do. I, I try to look um, back on shortly after, and, and you know find and think about what I where, what what was my part yeah. in something going wrong or a fracture relationship or something like mm-hmm. that. So. I started doing that in my mid-20s probably, and it served me pretty well. Well, one of the things that's interesting that you've kind of brought up without specifically bringing up is with sales. I've noticed with sales, like 80% of it. So there's two things that make a good salesperson, work ethic and skill set, right? Really, like you can't teach work ethic. You You can show work ethic. Right. And you can explain how work ethic might work, but... I feel like that's a lot more of something that people have or they don't. Drive it ambition. Yeah, like that's you, something can't, you can't teach. You can't teach that. People have to come with that. And mm-hmm. if they come with that, along with, you know, a couple drops of humility where they're willing to learn, mm-hmm. you can teach the skill set of sales. Like you're saying, like you can take someone who has no clue how to sell, and if they're if they have drive, ambition, and a willingness to learn. You can you can create a beast out that's of them. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. That's all. You, that's all you mm-hmm. need. That's the only thing. Those are the only items you need. And um, and you, and yes, you can change people's lives if they're willing to learn and listen and put in the work. For yep. sure. No and then question. you see those people who have that skill. They have a natural God given skill set to do it. 
but they lack that drive, ambition, work ethic, whatever it's called, and they fail. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's like it's frustrating to see that as uh, as a business owner, as a friend, as anybody, because it's like you can you can do this, mm-hmm. and you're just choosing not to right because work is just a choice sure again are you gonna take the next step or are you not sure and by choosing not to it's very frustrating yeah and very, it, would drive, it would drive me nuts yeah and i was you know i was because I was, I was so ambitious mm-hmm. and so aggressive you know when i was younger um you know i it's kind of worn off a little bit <laughs> you gotta round as that edge off you know <laughs> as you get older mm-hmm. but uh yeah I, you know i've i've told people throughout my life that um you know, I, I think the only, really, the biggest reason why I've, I've been successful is because I've I've had the ambition and the drive. Um, that is what's gotten me to where I am. And if I didn't have that, I mean, I, I really don't know where I would be. You where, know? where do you think that drive comes from? That's a really good question. I've asked myself that before, and. Um, you know, my father's always worked hard. Um, he's always kind of been, you know, in and out of sales um, in one form or another. And um, I don't, I, I think, I mean, I look back and I think maybe when, when I was younger, I just wanted to be, uh, I wanted to have money. I just wanted to have money and I wanted to be successful and, uh, and rich and, um I think that that's you know we didn't I didn't grow up poor you know by any means it was a you know middle class family maybe lower mm-hmm. lower middle class and a divorced you know parents and all that so um, I don't know I uh, I know that we struggled a little bit and uh, I just I wanted the nicer things in life you know I wanted to have the you know the the dream car and a big house and you know a pretty wife and all that kind of thing and I and I just think that. I, I don't know things that just sparked my, um, um, you know, my uh, imagination and 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 what was important to me when I was young, is is pretty much just carried through and and you know I I, I tried college for a little while, uh, I got out of high school with really just skating through the system man. Mm-hmm. I, I worked the system I was uh, you know. I wasn't the smartest kid by any means at all, uh, but I wasn't as dumb as I played off to be mm-hmm. to try to get easy classes and get out of school early yeah. and work program and all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just didn't. Um, I just didn't like school. I didn't. I didn't learn. It was just not interesting to me. The things that you have to learn was just not interesting to me. So it, it didn't get my attention. Yeah, and the way that you know people learn in different ways too. Um, the, you know, the, the school system, I think they might be a little bit better now and there might be programs better now. Um, I'm not sure how much better, but I, back when I was going to school, um, it, it was just one way to teach kids. And, um, a lot of kids just don't learn that way. And, you know, I, I got into college and, uh, did it about a year and a half there. And I, I got out of high school with really no homework, very little, <laughs> And I managed to skate through my first year of college with very little homework to you know do. But it got to the point where I couldn't play that off anymore. I yeah. couldn't do it anymore. So uh, I just you know had to decide uh, whether or not I wanted to continue. Uh, and either I needed to buckle down and like and really dive into the schoolwork, and um, or I just needed to say you know forget this. 
and pick an industry that I can make a lot of money in. It's not going to require a college education, a college degree. And I, you know, I was like, what, what can I do? It's, you know, it's going to be sales. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's salespeople make a lot of money if you pick the right, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Especially if you're so. driven and you're willing to learn and get better at it. It's, I mean, I know sales guys that are making a million dollars a year. Yeah. It's like, there's, it's out there. And yep. I mean, you find me a, like, find me a doctor that went to med school. They've been out of med school for three or four or five years. That makes a million bucks a year. Good luck. Yeah. And you can do that when you're in your twenties. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't be a doctor in your twenties. I mean, maybe, maybe someone out there has become a doctor in their twenties, but it's usually into your thirties to become a doctor. And it's, it's not, it's, it's not easy. And then you have all that school debt, all that debt to pay off. Yeah. And you've got a 10 year basic, like 10, 15 year delay on the guy who's straight out of high school, straight into sales, real estate, cars, whatever it is. Yeah. And I mean, they can, they can make a lot of money quickly. So there's a lot to be said for that, especially nowadays where education has got so expensive and the return on that investment has gotten so low. Oh, oh, yeah. Where it just, it's hard to justify I mean, if you want to go to school to become a doctor or a lawyer or right. a CPA or an engineer, yeah, you need to then go for good. those things. But if you're going into school and you're just like, I'm going to figure it out in school, oh, yeah, go figure it out doing sales or doing something else and right. figure out where you want to take life. And, and if that means going to school, then go with a direct purpose. But just going in to go in, people who do that nowadays, I'm just like, you're very ballsy yeah <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't do that yeah the school system is re- it's really uh, everything's so political now and it's uh they've really um they've really ruined the education system um you know in um in high school and, and yeah. actually i get all the way through i think yeah. now it's kindergarten yeah pick anything mm-hmm. you know, into college i mean the only way to go now i believe is in a, a trade school you know unless you're going to do the doctor or the lawyer thing just yep. exactly what what you said you know it's uh, the system is failing people now more than ever and has been for for quite a while and uh, you know i found that you know through the years especially you know as in my late 20s early 30s that you know being an entrepreneur and starting my own company when i was 22 years old and 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 figuring that out and learning and just the hard knocks of life and and becoming a, a young entrepreneur and and just kind of learning as i go about uh, the world outside and not, and not being locked in a classroom and, and, and my nose in a book and learning BS that doesn't have anything to do. And it's not going to help me in life really mm-hmm. at all. I found that uh, I, I seem to be much more ahead of, um, of my classmates that I went to high school with that were locked into this, you know, system of education for years and years. Yeah. And then they go work for somebody else and they're just, you know, they're on that path that um, society has taught them to be, that slave, that work slave. Yeah, and you, it's so difficult to break out of it now because if you once you go to college and you get that student debt, you feel very obligated to carry through with that degree, right. finish it, and then work using that, that degree, degree because you've got to pay that loan off. And then you're locked in and then, you know, married, kids, house, cars, all that, a debt accumulates and then you've got no choice mm-hmm. but breaking out and doing it at a young age where you know from the sound of it at 19 20 21 22 for you only person you had to worry about was you right and you know we're men same time like we want we want to have the everything you just listed off the house the car the wife all that stuff sure but if we don't we're all right you know yeah like, we're all right yeah but then putting a, a spouse or a child in that position not all right right like most men don't feel okay about that 
It's our job to provide. And so, uh, you know, doing it at that young age, that's the perfect time, in my opinion. Like, that's the time. Because you can take all the risk. Take all the risk. And it's like, well, I have nothing. So if I lose, (laughs) I'm going to end up with nothing. Uh, Who cares, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so you get to take those risks when you're younger that absolutely. way, you know, and then once you get, you know, you're become successful and you get your feet on the ground, you know, really. And I, I think, you know, I always looked at it um, as that uh, I had to earn my way to be able to have a wife and a family and a house and all that kind of thing. Like I needed to, you know, I needed to be financially secure before I could accumulate, you know, before I could go to those steps for sure. You know, and um you know, some a lot of people don't don't do it that way and they just kind of dive in and they struggle and it's um you know, back to what you were saying a minute ago about how um uh the programming uh works I think and how society you you spend all that money and all that time um trying to get that degree in that certain field and you it's cuz you've gone down that path for so many years and you feel so committed to carry out that, um, you know, that profession, um, even though it may not even be what you even want to do anymore. Absolutely. And people get sucked into that because of the, the mental programming. They just feel like they're kind of locked in or afraid to venture outside of what that field, you know, was that totally. they went to school for. And, and people get screwed. Yeah. I mean, for doing that. Look, let's be real. At 18, there's there's guys I know at 18 that, man, they got our stuff figured out. They exist. That is the exception, not the rule. Sure. Most guys at 18 are morons, and they make <laughs> dumb decisions. I was, and it's like to think that at 18, you lock yourself, or 17 or whatever, into this, this school to get this degree, to go into this profession, and that you knew that that was the right move at that point. I'm sure there's guys who do, mm-hmm. but most don't. Mm-hmm. And I say guys, girls, pe- humans. Sure. It's difficult. It's difficult to know at that age with such a limited life experience where you should fall in life. You need a little bit more experience to really know this is my this is my zone. And it just takes some time to develop that, to figure out what it is. And that gets rushed. But anyways. Yeah. So back to your story. So you get, you know, you you guys start seeing success. You guys are doing well. You started your own business. How does that then grow into what it's become today? So um, I I went through a rough patch, and this is about a year and a half after I started my first uh, roofing company here in Plano. Um, My partner uh, that I left the other company with um, had um, gotten together with our sales manager and decided that they were going to start their own company Mm. and leave Michael in the dust. So um, I'll never forget it. I got a phone call early one morning. Uh, I don't know. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. I was still sleeping. And uh, the uh, it was uh, from a, one of our suppliers. And the supplier asked me, he said, Hey, Michael, um, I got this application in here for a uh, you know, credit, credit line um, for this other new company. And uh, your name wasn't on it. I was... Um, I just didn't know, are you supposed to be on here or we need to yeah, get your information or something like that? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So then I found out that these guys had, um, already started the process of starting a company and, and, um, and leaving me, um, with the company that, um, I had started with the, with the one guy. 
So uh, that was pretty tough to swallow. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I did after that, I ended up closing that company down, and um, I w- decided to go outside of Dallas and um, start storm chasing. And so there was a storm, a record hailstorm that hit Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1998, uh, biggest storm they'd ever seen. Uh, there were tarps all over the place, bastion windows, uh, you know, uh, beat the hell out of these houses, sightings beat off the off the houses. Crazy. Yeah, so it, it actually kind of got nationwide attention. And so um, so I went out there and um, I brought a, um, you know, brought a few salesmen with me and, and uh, recruited a few people while I was out there. And I hooked up and decided to to partner up with uh, a, a local uh, company that was already there in existence, already had a license and was already operating. And I worked out an, an operating agreement deal with them uh, where my team and I would work underneath them and their, um, and their operation and kind of have a, like a little division inside their company. Um, it was really a, a joint venture deal. But at the time, I was only probably 23 years old. Um, I, I didn't. I had never done anything like that before. Uh, the contract that I had, that uh, you know, we had signed, was not um, uh, probably not the best. Yeah, uh, probably didn't I have would, attorneys reviewing it and all that. Or. Uh, I, I don't. I don't even remember. I probably had an attorney write it. I think I did, but um, you know, not knowing um, all of the little tricks, you know, and, and things that can happen from um, a, a, a partner that uh, may not have the best intentions. I, I didn't, I didn't know all the things that could happen in the little loopholes. Yeah. So, um, anyway, what's interesting is, uh, when I did that, um, the guy that I first went to go work for as the first roofing company ended up coming up to Minneapolis and selling underneath me. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, little kind bit of, of a full circle moment for yeah, you. Right. <laughs> kind of funny. Anyway, um, so that partnership uh, up in Minneapolis, the guy, the owner ended up being a complete idiot and running the company into the ground. He actually had to have some other guys come in and try to save the thing. So um, the second year, I decided to – I learned a lot and decided to partner with another company there in uh, that had been there uh, for, I don't know, five or six years, good family, Christian family. And uh, so I, I ended up doing a deal with them. And what I, what I did, how I structured it is I had um, – you know, open up my own credit lines, I had my own crews, I had my own salespeople, my own staff, and I just opened up my own office and really just use their license number and their name to um, go out and sell jobs. And mm-hmm. the deal that I worked at is, you know, uh, I don't know how long the storm is going to last, maybe a couple years, two, three years. When we decide to leave, um, you know, I pay them a percentage of all the jobs that we do as we go. And then that also covers the warranty. So if there's any warranty work that has to take place, let's say we, you know, we offer five-year warranties and we end up leaving in three years, and because we're going to go to another storm somewhere, yeah. Then, um, then that that uh, that company that has the license there that we pay as a partner, they take over the warranty work for the extended warranty period yeah. of time. So th- this way, you know, you're doing the right thing and you're not um, leaving people with no warranty, you know, in the yeah. event that I can't stay that long in my staff and all that. So it's a good model. There's guys that do that. And uh, so really from there, I went to Chicago and then I just started opening up multiple operations. Next thing you know, I got, 
you know, four or five storms going at a time. I mean, at one point, um, I think I had, this is back when Nextel had their, their cell phones, the walkie talkies. We Crazy. Were those yeah, those are awesome. I had three. I, I was, and I was in airports all the time. It got to, I think probably like in the early two thousands, I got to the point where, I mean, I was traveling so much and bouncing from office to office. I'd wake up and not even remember what, what, what freaking city I was in. I was carrying three big bulky cell phones around. I would go through the, um, uh, this is after nine 11, I'd go through TSA security and they would just look at me so weird. Like, is this guy a drug dealer? What the hell's going on here? You know? <laughs> and the reason I had these different cell phone numbers is because, I needed to have a local number um, in each one of these local markets because we didn't want. Um, you don't want an eight hundred number when it's they're looking for a local company. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I get it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. They didn't need to know that we were that we were kind of a um, a branch or div, a separate division of the company that people already knew and it being in existence there. They don't need to know the details of our deal. I mean, it's all they want to know is that their warranty work is covered. So yeah. we have, we try to present ourselves as, as local as we can. So we would, you know, we would also change out our license plates to make them local. And sometimes I, we'd be there for two years. I'd get, you know, be an apartment and yeah. her condo and, you know, I'd buy a vehicle there and have lo- local tags and all that. So anyway, I, I did that for years and years. And, um, so it really was focused on hailstorms throughout the United States. And then in, um, 2004, when we had um, these um, massive hurricanes that were hitting America, went through Florida, and then everybody remembers Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the guys that were in my industry um, had never done um, hurricanes before. There had not really been any really um, significant hurricanes in quite a while, so um, it was kind of, I guess, the all the guys that were in, in our industry that were younger like me uh, had never done a, a hurricane before. So uh, we all, there's a big group of us, um, most of the big main competitors that are national competitors. We would get, compete each against each other in, in every storm. Mm-hmm. We became good friends, you know, friendly competitors. We all went down out there going, oh, we're going to retire now. You know, uh, all these storms and all these hurricanes that hit. I mean, I think Florida got four yeah. in one year. And um, so we all just saw the dollar signs and we thought we're going to retire after this one. Maybe it's probably three years worth of work mm-hmm. and four years worth of work. And, you know, then we'll go do something else. So um, crazy thing is, is that um, none of us had worked in Florida before. And with the regulations uh, and the building codes and the way that they do things in Florida was completely different than anywhere else that any of us had ever worked before. So, uh, you know, pretty much all of us went out there. I would say there's probably about six or eight big um, national companies. We had our asses handed to us. We went out there. Most people went belly up and we went bankrupt, lost millions of dollars because the insurance carriers, um, you know, were more difficult to deal with. The money got drug out further. The people, the clientele in Florida were just quite different. Uh, I mean, I had people, I even had customers tell me at some point where I was trying to collect it. I'm just not going to pay you, you know, you can leave my house if you want to. I'll let let my kids deal with it. You know, just basically taking the insurance money and just saying, screw off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that happened, um, many, many times. So, um, anyway, um, so put, you've put the roofing material on your credit lines. You've had to pay subs to go install. Yeah. They get the insurance check that 
usually the roofing companies help people get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they get it. Yeah. And they're like, Austin. too bad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we do all the work, and then you know maybe maybe it was a thirty thousand dollars job, and they owe us maybe ten ten more thousand dollars at the end. They just just keep the money, and uh, and that happened, and you know, and the building uh, the building codes were a lot more difficult, and the length of uh, time to do inspections and so forth was um, took quite a quite a lot longer. I mean, and a lot of these inspectors too would not even have their own ladders to go and do the inspections, so. We had to have 20, 30, 50, and the bigger companies had to have 100 ladders out there uh, on the job sites, uh, waiting, you know, propped up for the inspector to go do, look, do the inspection and either pass or fail the job. And if their ladder was not uh, popped up at the perfect angle and there, it wasn't tied off, they would automatically fail it. Um, they would fail. They would fail jobs for um, having any leftover bundles of material sitting in the drive. So if, a, if we left some for a customer because they wanted them to do repairs later on, if they needed yeah. it, if that was in the driveway or anywhere to be seen, they would fail it. Wow! So this is the way these counties would make extra money. They'd fail it, get another fee. Yep. It was quite a racket. Sounds like uh, great, great governing going on. <laughs> you know, just stand up. Doing their best there. Golly. Yeah. So uh, it was it was pretty tough. Um, but um, anyway, um, you know, I finally we made, I made it through. Did real well. I think in two thousand six, I decided to retire, get out of the industry, and and then I decided to um, go to uh, the Caribbean, um, specifically the Dominican Republic and Saint Kitts, and uh, take my winnings. I guess yeah. if you want to say it that way. And uh, I ended up partnering up with um, some real estate developers out of New York, became a vice president for a real estate developing firm um, uh, that uh, they'd started in um, a branch in um, Dominican Republic. And uh, so, you know, we were working on, um, I guess we had four different projects on Oceanfront uh, there in Dominican Republic. And I had another one in St. Kitts with some other partners um, out of Denver over there. And then the big whopping financial collapse hit, Oof. 2008. Mm -hmm. So all my money uh, that we had put into these projects that we were just about to get off the ground um, just evaporated. And um, basically, I had to end up coming back in 2008, um, late 2008, and get back into the industry that I had made, done so well in, and uh, take another whack at it because that was out of money. Yeah. So a lot of developers around the world, they uh, they lost oh, a, yeah. a, everything. Um, there was many of them that went, that went under. Um, it doesn't matter really where you were. I mean, we even had, um, you know, Nikki Beach, um, which a lot of people are familiar with. They're a big um, – you familiar with, with Nikki Beach? They have one in, um, in South Beach. It's down towards the end around First Street and um, – I guess it's uh, ocean, right there, right on the water. Um, but uh, they had, at that time in the um, early 2000s, had become this um, jet setter um, party brand. They had they had one uh, in Saint Tropez, uh, Saint Bart's, or you know, someplace like that. They had one in South Beach, uh, and they had converted. They were they were starting to branch out and wanted to start doing uh, con uh, hotels. Condo tells. So back then, condo tells were, were a big thing. Uh, and so they still wanted us to build the Nikki Beach. They've been searching for two years all over that island 
of Dominican Republic and interviewed several developers, and they finally decided they wanted us to build the Nikki Beach uh, in Caborete, which is the kite surfing capital of the world, pretty much, uh, over in uh, in Dominican Republic. And we had the, uh, a great lot there. We're going to build, I think it was 100 condos, oceanfront, right in front of wherever they have all the, these kite surfers flying through the air. It's a quite a scene to be able to see these guys flying through the air. These guys are really, really, really good. They fly in 20 feet, 30 feet in the air. Awesome. And these kites, I mean, seeing 40, 50 kites out there, it's really cool to watch. Yeah. And so our site was right in front of it. Mm-hmm. We tore down an old whorehouse okay. that was there. <laughs> and uh, we were going to build these condos. But, you know, everything went south. And uh, I ended up having to come, uh, you know, back to, um, you know, spend, I was bouncing back and forth between South Beach had a place in the at the Flamingo, uh, in the center tower. Had a penthouse there, and it was awesome. I had a great time there, and I was bouncing back and forth between there and Cabarete, Dominican Republic. But when everything went south, ended up coming back to America full time, and um, decided to team up with my friends that had uh, really made some big strides uh, in the um, insurance restoration industry at that time in two thousand eight. Um, they had uh, become an Inc. five hundred company. Uh, been on an extreme makeover TV show. Uh, they had ventured into doing, um, you know, um, specialty um, historical tile roofing, which is astronomically expensive. Oh yeah, it's crazy expensive. It's very expensive. Um, and we were they were doing you know quarter million dollar residential roofs. You know, back then, I mean, today we do half million seven hundred fifty thousand dollar residential roofs. That's crazy. It is crazy. That's like you can build a you can build a two million dollar house for seven hundred fifty thousand in cost to build. Yeah, and yeah. That's just the roof. Yeah, That's just the roof. Crazy. So I, you know, instead of starting my whole deal from scratch again, I thought, well, these guys and I, and I knew the owners. They were good friends of mine. The president of the company actually used to sell for me. I went to high school with him. And what's funny is. Um, most of the guys that I hung out with in high school um, ended up following my lead after high school, and they most of them came to sell for me, and I forgot about that part. Uh, they started selling for me as sales reps back in the, um, I guess it was the, the, the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they started their own companies and so forth. So when I decided to get back in the industry, um, a good buddy of mine, Brian, um, was president of this big, massive, growing company that had uh, achieved all of this success. And so I called a meeting with him and uh, his partner and uh, the other two partners, and they know me for many years and respected me and all that. And I thought, hey, I was thinking about um, maybe some kind of franchise model or some, you know, see if I could work with you guys since they, they had become a national company and they're flying under their own brand. Yeah. And they've been building that brand for probably about 10 years, I guess, and were very successful. And so I saw value in, um, you know, teaming up with them and figuring out some sort of a model that would work for all of us. So um, we decided to, uh, to do that. They're like, we've been thinking about a franchise model anyway for the last year or two. You're the perfect guy to do it because we know you, we trust you, and we know you've been in the business for a long time, and so let's do it. Yeah. So um, we decided on, an, on some numbers and a model. And um, I opened up my first office in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I took they had an office there, and I took it over, and it was became mine. And then uh, started uh, open up a second office in Midland, Texas. And then from there, just was branching out. I, next thing you know, I'm opening up offices all through the Midwest and the Northeast at the 
uh, up in uh, Long Island, uh, New York. I uh, went to Charlotte, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Chicago, um, you know, Denver, Colorado. So, uh, you know, it went it went pretty well the first uh, three, three or four years. I mean, as far as, you know, what our numbers were, but as far as like me being compensated, the model was expensive to run. And uh, they were really cautious about um, the um, about their name that they they wanted to protect and for, for sure. good reason, yeah, because they built it up and they're you know people were starting to recognize who they were on a national level. So, uh, you know, I had to do things that and pay for things that they weren't necessarily doing just because they wanted that extra layer of protection because um, they didn't want anything to happen to their name. So. Uh, ended up the the model was was too expensive to do, and um, we decided to squash it. You know, they came to me and said, "Hey, look, why don't we just squash the model? We'll we'll make you an offer that you can't refuse." And they they literally did. Yeah, um, to stay within the organization, and um, they would, were to take over my offices, and they let me pretty much do whatever I wanted to do and have my own team of people. I could work out of any office I wanted to float around. You know, I didn't have to, um, have, have the, the heavy weight, you know, on me of all the credit lines and running the whole operation and, you know, all of that heavy weight that comes with being a, you know, a, a CEO. And, um, so it was kind of a welcome relief. And, um, I mean, right away, Within the first few months, I mean, I could see that I was going to do quite a bit better than um, the franchise model that we had. And I mean, from then on, I think that was in 2013, maybe 2014. And so is the economy starting to pick back up? Like well, life, I mean, life it, is slowly coming back into the economy. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the great thing about the insurance restoration industry is it's recession. Oh, totally. So it really doesn't matter um, how bad the economy is. I mean, if big storms come and hit and they bash people's houses up, they got to get them fixed. Yep. You know, they just have to pay their insurance deductible. So that's the great thing about that industry. And so, um, you know, I, after a few months, I could tell that I was going to do quite well. And, you know, and I was. And so uh, at that point, I guess if, if two or three years down the road, um, we, uh, we got some big hurricanes again, uh, 2017 fast forward 2017. Um, we, uh, we opened up, we'd already have a, had a license there, been doing work, you know, off and on, um, from, I think for a few years. And when then this storm hit in 2017, um, the people didn't, um, I think the, the, the general population in the, in the, in the, the roofing contractors and insurance restoration contractors that were already, you know, really operating on a regular basis um, didn't um, see the opportunity that we did. We had already been doing a model where um, we kind of specialized in specialty. Not only did we do siding and windows and gutters and that kind of thing, but the roofing is a big ticket item, and that's where we made a lot of our money. Yeah, and we we were already doing specialty slate and historical tile roofing. So what we were already kind of doing is is targeting storms uh, prior to these hurricanes in 2017. Uh, that's the one of the the things that were of real value of why I teamed up with these guys in the first place is because they figured out a model to go after these real high dollar ticket, um, you know, roofs that were historical and make these big, I mean, these are $150,000 to $500,000 roofs. 
and they were doing that through St. Louis and Indiana, and the the areas that they would target are areas like Highland Park. Yeah, you're familiar with here in Dallas. Well, you know, once a year or twice a year in different areas of the country, there would be a storm that would nick or hit an area that was like that, whether it might be Charlotte, North Carolina, or it could be, you know, Cherry Creek in Denver, Colorado, uh, areas like that that had these types of houses that had these old historical roofs that were really expensive, made up, there were huge margins, made a lot of money on them. And so, um, we learned the model from that because a lot of that tile, that historical tile, is no longer manufactured. So if there's 20 or 30 broken tiles, it doesn't have to be completely annihilated in order for it to kind of default into, well, we can't even get the tile. You can't to, match it. You can't match it. So. We can't get the tile anymore. So now the manufacturer is still in existence, but they don't make that model anymore. But they'll they will make it for a nice big fat fee, mm-hmm. and so it's all custom production. Cool. So that's where the numbers multiply into these crazy numbers, and so we figured that out years and years ago. And so um, when the hurricanes hit in Florida in 2017, our eyes lit up. We you know we we drove the area. We were already there working um, from um, another hailstorm that had hit um, in 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had done another joint venture with another company out there in 2015, but I was already kind of out there. And so when this 2017 hurricane hit, um, we saw a major opportunity because we already knew the discontinued tile model, and it's Florida is full of it. Because in the tile industry, there are um, not historical, but just regular concrete tile. There are mergers and acquisitions all the time, and every every few years – these companies end up gobbling up other companies. They cancel the molds, cancel the models, and then they come up with a, with a new um, model that looks very similar to the old one, but it's slightly off in the in the dimensions and in the width or the length or mm-hmm. you know the arc on the barrel or whatever it might be. And so the new model that they produce will no longer um, uh, inter, uh, interlock, and they're not they're not interchangeable. So if you to cram it in there, try to cram the new model into where the to the old uh, model roof, it, it doesn't work. It's not it doesn't shed the water properly. So when this hurricane hit in 2017, we saw major opportunity that um, we think regular roofing contractors that do repairs and just do retail roofing, they there hadn't been any hurricanes in quite a while. It'd been like I think 10 or 12 years. So um, nobody saw the opportunity like we did. And so uh, we seized on the opportunity and, um, you know, the stars aligned. Uh, we had guys that wanted to come sell for us from all parts of the United States. The, the hurricanes got some pretty good attention. And that's what happens when these hurricanes hit and people know, oh, there's lots of money made in hurricanes, right? Yeah. Doing in home repairs. And so we had a bunch of people wanting to come work for us. And so uh, next thing you know, we're building this thing up to 150 salespeople all throughout the the, um, the state of Florida. And then literally within the first year, we went from doing, you know, 20 million to over 100 million. Oh, that's and crazy. Then, yeah. And the next year we're into about 150 million. The next year we're about 175 million. And so we can, we pretty much stayed consistent about $175 million a year. Um, you know, as even until now, 
Uh, we're still doing uh, work now, and um, you know it takes. It's a long process from the time that uh, we sign a property owner up to uh, be their contractor and to work on their claim with them. And then once the claim gets approved, we perform the repairs. We do a lot of screening closures out there, um, you know, roofing, uh, windows, stucco uh, type work. And, um, you know, the insurance carriers out there are a lot more difficult to work with. And so they oftentimes want you to sue them. So we had to have this, you know, put this model into place, which we were already doing on a smaller scale because of the hailstorm that hit in 2015. So we kind of already had an idea of the model and how to do it. We just we tweaked it and we hired more attorneys. And, you know, next thing you know, we've just got this massive pipeline of thousands and thousands and thousands of claims and jobs. They were in the pipeline. We had to throw them into the lawsuit system. And it would take two years, year and a half, two years then to finally settle out, and then the tile takes another six months to you know to get. So it, the life cycle from the time that we would sign up a property owner to contract them until the time that the work is done and we're paid is it's a good two and a half to three years. That's a brutal sales cycle. Absolutely, it is. And we don't get and you don't get paid until the job's yeah. done. So a lot of people don't have didn't have the money, you know, sales reps. I mean, we had to give people draws and stuff like that. But most companies don't have the. Um, the kind of infrastructure or the money to finance, um, you know, salespeople as they're waiting, yeah. you know, for their jobs to, to get approved and to get built and all that kind of thing. So, but we were set up to do it. Um, and, and we did it and, uh, just, you know, blew some of the companies have been there for 30, 40 years out of the water, d- double, tripled, quadrupled the size of their companies. That's awesome. Yeah. That's crazy. That, but they didn't know. They're like, where the hell did you guys come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of respect, you know, a lot of hate too, because, um, you know, we were really good at what we did. And, uh, you know, fast forward here, I guess we're in 2023 now. Uh, we were, I was getting pretty close to wrapping up. I was, um, I was hitting retirement mode here, getting into, you know, uh, switching gears into doing some, uh, some art, some interior design things and, uh, doing, um, went to dabble in some real estate. And then 2000 last year, 2022, 22, we got hit with another storm, you know, and just when they, I thought I was out, they pulled me back in just yeah. like the Godfather. Mm-hmm. And so then I kind of got sucked in again. Um, but, uh, it's, a, this is a much shorter, uh, lifespan of a, of a storm. It wasn't as big. Talking about and, Irma. Uh, yes. Hurricane. Yeah. Uh, well, Hurricane Ian. Ian. Hurricane Ian. Yeah. So does and, the hurricane have to have hail in it for it to? No, no, no. Just no. but those high winds will. The high the winds, what they do is they lift up the tile and they break the tile. They what they cause is wind shatter mm-hmm. on the at least on the roofs, and it and it causes them to fracture and break and pull them up, lift the screws up and pulls the screws up out of the roof, and so then water can leak inside the screw holes because yeah. now those holes are bigger mm-hmm. than where the screws got stripped out. Um, you know, and then you have the pool cages that have frame damage and screen yeah. damage. Those have got to be replaced. You have people with leaky windows, people that have um, damage to their stucco and to their gutters and things like that. So, um, you know, it's been a good model. We, you know, I, I used to do um, complete um, a lot of structural work um, and uh, a lot more gut remodel back in 2004 and, and 2005 and six um, back then. But, um, you know, we found that um, it, that's not the best model. Um, because uh, the, the jobs get, just get drug out longer and longer, 
And uh, we you're talking also, about where there's flooding and you got to go in and cut the sheetrock at four yeah, feet that up or, or whatever. Really bad leaks in the house. And, you know, you got to redo um, the floors and, you know, and you got to do a, a, a lot of gut and you got to do uh, kitchens and cabinets and, yeah. you know, things like that. And, we, you know, what we've discovered, and it's pretty much what everybody in our industry, you know, says that, um, you know, once you start really getting that heavy into the remodel and reconstruction, especially on the residential side, they, the, the property owners tend to really want to hold your money and they want their place looking like the Taj Mahal or yeah. else you're just not going to get paid. Mm-hmm. And so your money gets held for ransom. Yeah. And, uh, I, we did that. I did that for years and my partners had done that for years. And we just know that that's not a good model. There's companies that do it, but that's just not what we want to do. We'd rather be uh, in and out and uh, take the easier. We want the higher ticket uh, items mm-hmm. that are the easier ones to do with they have the high, highest profit margins. And so that's why we try to stick with, you know, the roofs, the gutters, stuccos, screen enclosures, windows are good money. And uh, so that's kind of the model that we've been doing uh, for, for quite a while now. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, in, like, you know, like, you're not – outlining this as as good business but at the end of the day it's good business like people who say yes to everything you're you're, you're gonna fail there's too much out there you you picked your path you found that you had this little bit of an advantage you figured out with roofing and then you did some of the other components of roofing like roof and gutters those go together very well sure so it's like you you took in a couple of these other items you said, hey, here is where we can really kill it. This mm-hmm. is what we're good at. We know how to do this. We figured out some pieces of this, and we're better at that than anyone else. We're going to triple down on this yep. and crush it. Speed. Yep. In and out, speed, turn turnkey fast. Man, if you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> funny you say Ricky Bobby. We actually got into – I brought NASCAR. Uh, I had a friend of mine that's connected to the NASCAR um, world uh, that used to be actually one of my salesmen in Charlotte. I've, we stayed connected over the years, and um, – uh, I guess it was about three years ago, four years ago, he um, uh, brought me an opportunity. He said, hey, I've got a sponsorship that opened up on a car. And what did he know? He knows I have a lot of friends that are successful, have big companies and, you know, public companies and things mm-hmm. like that. And so they're like, we thought you might know somebody who might want to do a sponsorship. And at the time, I actually had a bathroom modeling company um, as well here locally in Dallas that I was considering doing um, on my own. But I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ask my uh, my my partners at, at uh, the the Hurricane Construction Company and see what they uh, thought about that. And I brought it to them, and they were, oh yeah, we're all in. So ne- you know, next thing you know, it's not just a couple races we're sponsoring; they're doing the, a full sponsorship the whole next year. And the year after that, they're getting into the NASCAR trucks, and then they're getting into the power boats, and then they're getting into the GT4. And then they're uh, doing the top fuel dragster. They took over the D. We took over the DHL uh, top fuel dragster car. Crazy! It's insane. I mean, we go to we show up at these, um, you know, conventions, construction conventions, and roofing conventions, stuff like that. And I mean, we, we have all our cars there on display. And I mean, we're really been the envy of the industry. That's awesome. For quite some time now. But um, I just thought about that when you mentioned the Ricky yeah. Bobby thing because we. Yeah, we've been doing that for a while. Um, Do you feel like you get like a good ROI on that? Is that worth it? Does that create additional? Well, I can tell you this. Um, the, so, our CEO really wanted me to um, work with him um, on um, nurturing 
the relationships, um, you know, in that, um, in that, in that race world, I didn't see the vision like he did. Um, you know, and, and I was also traveling. I mean, I had, a, I, I had just gotten married, uh, and you know, was building a house in Dallas here and, uh, I was trying to settle into the family life thing. And, um, this first time I'd been married, I hadn't been married. I got married at 46 Hell, I had a pretty good ride, and yeah. I was like, "Okay, now it's you got to switch gears. You got a wife now; mm-hmm. can't be gone all the time." Even though I was, you know, had a place in Florida, and I was, you know, I was gone quite a bit. Then it turns out we're on the weekends. I need to start going to these races in Talladega and all these things. I mean, when mm-hmm. am I going to have time for my wife? I can't. Yeah. I really can't do that. I was really looking forward to trying to be home, you know, and have some sort of sense of normalcy because mm-hmm. I've, I've been on the road. I've been a roadie for freaking yeah. twenty yeah. some years. Since Minneapolis, really, yeah, was the first storm in we say six 90s? years or something yeah, like that. Crazy. So, um, you know, I, I, I just didn't want to do it, and uh, I just didn't. I also didn't see, I guess, what he saw, but he really got dove in and um, sort of working their relationships. And he, next thing you know, he's on private jets and helicopters all the time. You know, hanging out with these big wigs and owning these race companies and race car drivers and all that kind of stuff. And he ended up just having a ball. And I could see how much fun he was having. And it was a blast for him. And he was ended up, this is the model wasn't trying to get recognition from people seeing the car on TV, it was about working. Uh, these high net worth individuals that were in the racing world that have commercial properties mm. all over the United States. So not only do do we do um, insurance restoration work, but um, we've also been doing um, you know um, really high profile commercial projects for for decades. I guess for about fifteen years. So, for example, we we do the Crescent. We've done the Crescent Hotel here in, in, Dallas. in Dallas. Okay, yeah. We do all the slate around that. Uh, we did the old red uh, museum uh, tower, uh, mm-hmm. museum uh, courthouse. You're talking about the red yep. brick one, the, yeah. one of the oldest building I think in downtown. Right in front of. Uh, where we did all this, JFK. yeah, all the gargoyles and yeah. all that. We did all the slate around that. That's a historical project. We did the Hard Rock um, uh, guitar in Florida. Mm-hmm. The, the roof on that. Um, but we have all kinds of projects all throughout the United States, uh, 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 colleges we've done. Uh, we've done all kinds of stuff. We're in the newspapers and, and roofing magazines all the time. So not only have we been doing the insurance restoration thing, but we've been doing these really cool projects nationwide, military bases, things like that, all over the place. So um, the CEO saw the opportunity in uh, trying to farm these relationships, uh, these uh, race owners and, and people that were connected to that world. And we've even done a racetrack. We even did one of the racetracks. It's pretty huge. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So he started working out these deals where I guess he was kind of trading out, you know, sponsorship uh, work. You know, we'll, we'll be, uh, you know, apply a certain amount of money towards your race team. You give us, you know, construction work. And we make a little bit of profit and offset it. But I, I think after year two, um, from what I understand, what he's telling me is that, you know, the sponsorships are pretty much all paid for through different, and we partner with our suppliers and things like that, yeah. different vendors. And so it was kind of really funding itself. And I was doing, picking up big projects too. Mm-hmm. So th- that's kind of the model that he saw. I, I didn't smart. see it the way, it is super smart. So that's a model that I've seen used in the past. I call it the buy-in model where it's like, there's kind of an upfront cost to get in. And it, mm-hmm. it's hard to know if you're actually going to justify it. But if you can play your cards right, 
that upfront cost to get in or that buy-in, yeah, that barrier to entry to get over that, once you're in that, and then you you have to, I don't know if exploit's the right word, but you got to find the opportunities in there and mm-hmm. maximize them. But there's a lot to be said for that model. It takes balls to it do. It does, Because, man. you know, sometimes you're like, we did it with, with, so I used to be in the car industry back in the day, and we did it sometimes with cars where we would go and we'd try and forge a relationship with a big car dealer mm-hmm. to buy all their trade-in inventory. So we'd go in and they'd want too much for, for some cars. Mm-hmm. It's like, we'll buy these, but we want first dibs on the next 10. And then that was our buy-in. And okay. so I saw that work a lot of times where I was like, oh, like after I do, after I pay this kind of premium to get in and then you shake hands, you know, start start hanging out and they start liking you. Well, yeah. then you start well, getting, these guys are real. Then you start getting friends and family discount, right? Right. And that's that's essentially what you're buying. And a yep. lot of people are scared to do that, but that takes a lot of foresight to do that and and some balls. I, I got to give it to work. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to give it to him. I mean, he he saw it. I didn't. Um, you know, at the same time, I was just I was just kind of worn out too, man. I mean, I <laughs> to be honest with you, I've I'm pretty much been on burnout for the last ten years. <laughs> but the, the, these last uh, few hurricanes have been. I, I know that they were game changers, and the, the, it's the most money we've ever made. It's the, it's the biggest opportunities we've ever seen on that scale. Yeah. And so I, I just knew I had to do it. It, it, it was the best decisions that, I, that I've ever done is to stay with it, um, you know, even though I was been, I've was i been worn out, man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now I'm sticking to it. I'm I'm sticking to my game plan here. Where yeah. I'm on my way out. I've had a good ride. It's 30, been 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's time to switch gears and do some things, some other things that I like. So, you know, at the, earlier in this conversation, you mentioned that, you know, the goal was when you started getting into this other stuff is you wanted, you wanted the house, the cars and the wife. Yeah. I've seen your house, your cars and your wife. You got it all now. <laughs> so how does it feel? Um, it's, it's, uh, what's the right, what's the right word? I guess, um, it's, it's super satisfying, gratifying. Um, you know, uh, when did you believe you were actually going to get there? Did you always know, or did it was it, was it like a hope that turned into a belief later, or because I've tried to figure this out for myself, and that's why I'm asking you. I'm... Yeah, it's, that's a that's a great question um, because I, I I would have thought I would have already had gotten here before I did um, years before, but um, you know the the dream was always there, and uh, I really didn't know when it was going to happen. I just kept taking, you know, things year by year, um, you know, trying to uh, throw money into, into different things that would make more money. I've always invested in different things as well, too. Throwing a lot of money, wasted a lot, millions of dollars in investments that, you know, never went anywhere, lost a bunch of money in the stock market, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I... Um, I you know I I saw it coming really uh, around 2016 um, when I had a really good year um, before the hurricanes hit I I really finally gotten there and I made my plans to buy my first Ferrari and uh, you know I I could have done that in my mid 20s and uh, you know what's what's interesting is that I said you know no you're not going to do that don't be that guy. Put your money in the stock market. Put your money in these different alternative investments, mm-hmm. and and I did, and I and I lost millions of dollars doing all that yeah. by trying to do the right thing, and put my money and in, in, and invested in other things, and 
Now you're like, I'm it, just going to have fun now. Yeah, and so <laughs> I didn't. And so I thought I, I look back and I'm like, you should have gotten that damn Ferrari back yeah. when you were in 25 or 26, mm-hmm. because now that I'm in that world. And uh, and I've learned the game of being able to even uh, to order these things and have a pipeline of them and being able to drive them for free and even make money and learn the game because there's a game there too. Yeah, and I've been quite successful at that. I mean, where would I be? Um, you know, twenty years later, of um, or twenty five years later, of being able to of flipping in and out of those cars and having those that that, that type of relationship. I would be having those La Ferraris opportunities by mm-hmm. now. Those cars that you know that I get offered for eight hundred thousand dollars, and you know after two years I can sell it and and for one point eight million or two point three million. That's Gosh. where I would be if I had a, went that route. I didn't. No regrets, but um, you know I, I had a blast uh, once I I um, you know got my first one, and then I decided to. You know, I've always wanted to design and uh, and build my own home. Um, I've always been into interior design. I've done, you know, many pro- several projects for friends and penthouses, and did a car dealership and uh, and uh, you know just little side projects here and there. But uh, for the first time, I got to design a home from the ground up and uh, and incorporate all these things that I wanted to do, and got real edgy with it. And um, it was real gratifying being able to see the vision, you know, come to life. And, you know, back to the wife thing, too. I held out for a long time, finally met the right uh, right woman. And, um, yeah, I, I've had a great last um, six, seven years of, of just success. Everything, all the stars aligned, really just um, when I went, met my wife, too. I mean, really about the time I met my wife, uh, all these other things fell into place, too. So I don't know if that's yeah uh, no that's did that that's happen a great with answer. you yeah you know my wife I mean I was head off into left field somewhere and she helps just keep me centered and moving forward like you know I've I don't know maybe business ADD or something I see a shiny object <laughs> and and she you know swats me down and is like keep doing what you're doing you're making money and it's like it's very helpful because it keeps my head right with someone who's as invested as I am in the situation you know she wants. She knows I'm capable and she wants me to realize that capability. And so by her just keeping me in my lane mm-hmm. and helping me recognize when I'm stepping out, you know, sometimes she could, she could probably do that a little nicer. But, <laughs> but you <laughs> know, right. it's like she sends the message the way I need to hear it and it has the the effect that we need. And, I mean, being married is best as – what's funny is – I'm not classifying it as a business decision at all, but probably the best decision business decision I've ever made. But it kind of is. It's like I, you know, I didn't make it as a business decision, but right. it has helped me so much in business. And there's a myriad of reasons, right? One of them is you're not chasing tail anymore. Right. You're focused. Right. You know, you're not. You're not like you're not at the office like text trying to text the different girl. You know, you're just oh, I'm gonna go home to my wife tonight. You don't have to think about any of that. So that takes all of that off your plate, and then she's in, as invested as. I am in the business working because it's her business too at the end of the day. Sure. So she helps, you know, just keep me focused, keep me moving forward. And then also helps me recognize, cause she's got a little bit further out view, you know, she's a little bit further zoomed out. Mm-hmm. So she'll notice, she'll be like, well, this doesn't seem to be working anymore. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Ah, like, oh, crap. She's right. What am I going <laughs> to do about it? You know? And then you got to think and you gotta figure out and execute, but she's oftentimes that, you know, you got the two little, Two little guys on your shoulder, one, yeah. one telling you the good and the bad, and she's often the one telling me 
the good and, and letting me know of some of the bad and, but trying to get me in that right direction. And it's nothing has helped me more than her in business. I I've, you know, I've, I've noticed that, um, over the years that, um, you know, some of my friends that have been the most successful have been married and, and grounded. I think it grounds you. And for just the reasons that you said, you're not chasing the tail anymore. You're, you're more focused on business. And I think there's, that, that's a statistic out there that I would believe it to be. Yeah. I think I've read that before that, you know, guys tend to do much, much better financially and in business uh, successful wise by, you know, buckling down and getting that, um, having that married life. And, uh, you know, as long as it's, uh, if it, it's a good fulfilling, balance it's gotta it's, be a good marriage. It like, has to be a good, yeah, like, cause it could also, it can go the other way. Like no I know question. guys that are married, that maybe they didn't marry the, the right fit for them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it tank things as well. And I've seen divorces tank things as well. So it's like, no question. It, it, it can be the best thing, but it's, it's also gotta be the right thing. And if you do that, man, it just improves life in so many ways. I so. agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Hey, so last question, um, you know, you're in this transition period. So moving forward, how are you going to pursue prosperity in your life? What's, What's next, and, and how are you going to find that, and what is prosperity? It's a lot. Well, uh, you know, prosperity, um, one, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at that in a um, what is going to be fulfilling for me um, in my soul and in my mind because, um, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, the insurance restoration industry is a, it's a grind and uh, I've been burned out for a long time, and uh, it's it's never really been fulfilling for me. I, 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 you know, I made the, I don't know if you want to, if I want to call it a mistake or not. Um, I don't really have any regrets, but I often ask myself, you know, if I didn't um, end up getting into the roofing contracting business, I mean, no matter what, I was ambitious and I was going to figure it out. Yes. You know, I had dreams of being an investment banker and, um, you know, uh, and doing real estate, um, you know, when I was younger. And, um, you know, uh, if I had gone down that path, where would I be? Maybe I'd be 10 times more successful. Mm -hmm. I don't don't know. Um, But I what I did is I chased the money because there was a lot of money in, in this insurance restoration and I sold out for the money. And uh, you know, now that I'm 50 years old and I'm to the point where I can leave it behind if that's what I want to do. And uh, I have that luxury now to do that. And so, I'm, you know, I've been really um, thinking, you know, this last few years, what what is going to bring me happiness um, and what is going to bring me fulfillment, um, you know, as I'm um, exiting out of this insurance restoration industry. And uh, I, I want to do things that are fulfilling for me. So, you know, the, uh, I've always kind of been an artistic um, person. I'm, you know, exploring the the design thing. Um, and it's actually even just recently got me into uh, painting. Um, I was inspired by a friend of mine, um, uh, his wife, because they have a, I just randomly made two paintings back in 2013, I think when I was in Omaha, Nebraska in a hotel room. I don't know why I decided to do it. I just mm-hmm. did. And those are the only two paintings I ever did. And, uh, 
you know, um, I, I ended up, I, he saw him somehow or whatever, and I, I ended up giving him to him. He's got a hung, one of them hung up in his living room, right, right or this furniture, right, when he, well, people walk in the house. And, um, you know, uh, she, whenever I go over there, she, you know, they talk about it, and she's been really pushing on me to explore that. And I'm like, maybe I need to do that, you know? So I, I've even been tinkering about, or now around with painting. I just started my, uh, fourth one, I guess. And so, um, I'm looking at that and maybe looking at and making a business out of that. Um, because I, I enjoy it. And, uh, real estate is another thing that you and I have, have talked about here that I've just started uh, dabbling in. And, um, you know, I want to start doing, um, you know, more of that. That's going to be more fulfilling. What I like about the real estate and the specific niche that you and I talk about is that, uh, you can get creative on how you structure deals and it's not being a real estate agent and an easy buy and sell transaction. There's a whole other world mm-hmm. um, of, uh, you know, creative finance and of, of structuring deals that um, um, you can acquire property. And, and I, I like the creativity of um, looking at a deal and figuring out a way to make it work. I, I, I tend to like, the creativity and things. And <clears throat> I wasn't always able to do that in the insurance restoration industry. I mean, there's some things that I actually were, I, I, I did do things like that. I, I had to create, get creative on deals to kind of make them work. But I found when I, when I was doing that as I really enjoyed figuring out, uh, finding those problems and, and, and figuring out solutions on how I could make a big deal work. Yeah. And I tend to really like that. And, um, you know, I know that in real estate you can get pretty creative. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying, um, getting to, um, to start doing some of those transactions. And, um, so I guess, um, to answer your, your question, I guess, um, I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing more of what I really want to do now, um, more so than I've ever been able to do before. And, you know, I, I don't have to worry about bills and so much as as, yeah. I, as I used to. And I'm kind of in a – I don't know if I want to say semi-retired, but, um, you know, I like nicer things in life. And if I want to keep up my lifestyle, I'm going to have to figure out really a way to try to create a good income. Uh, but I want to – this time I want to do it in ways that are more fulfilling for me. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing is you're – kind of rediscovering your passions or, or passions you may have lit fall exactly by the side while yes. you've been pursuing uh, the financial, money. Yeah. The finance. <laughs> and so you're, you're going to do that. And then you also are trying to figure out um, some, some more longer term investments that can keep paying you out over time. Right. Something I learned earlier in my real estate investing career is uh, some older, some older men that were just kind of teaching me about real estate and life. They said, you know, once I realized I could do a transaction and get paid forever, I never did any transactions that would only pay me once again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, like, does. that's some of, that's something that real estate brings through the cash flow side of it. Um, it you can create income. a lot of that, that that reoccurring income, and there's a ton of value in that. Um, yeah, and the so I I I really like where you're going. I think that in a lot of ways you've lived like a dream life. You know, Work, that American American dream where you hustled, made it through, had setbacks, overcame them, and 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 got through. And now you're kind of in that in that beautiful part of life Sweet where spot. you can figure out what you really love doing and 
some of them may become hobbies, some of them may become business, and yeah. go from there. So I love it. Yeah, I'm in a I'm, good spot now. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks it. for taking the time. Yeah. Appreciate you joining us for the podcast today. Until next time. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.